Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Bill O'Reilly joins us to talk about the latest book in his best-selling series, Killing the Witches. Happy Friday the 13th, right? Also this weekend, we'll get a sneak preview of next year's big show. We'll speak to a space expert at NASA to explain the difference between April's total solar eclipse and tomorrow's annular eclipse. Coach's Corner host John Marshall previews week number nine of high school football around the area. And our Around the World tour continues with a collection of easy Greek recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, October 13th, 2023. So here's the deal. You'll hear a lot of folks talking about triskaidekaphobia today on Friday the 13th, but that is not the fear of Friday the 13th itself, triskaidekaphobia. That actually is the fear of anything having to do with the number 13. Specifically, the fear of Friday the 13th is something entirely different. They call it, let me make sure that I can get this right here, para, paraskevidekatriaphobia. I think is how you say that. That is the fear of Friday the 13th itself. And psychologists say very few people actually have that fear. We like to kind of kid about it and joke about it. And oh, Friday the 13th and all of that. But uh, very few people actually suffer from these fears. But for those who do, it can be debilitating. It is a diagnosable mental health condition or psychological, I don't know, psychological condition. Would you call it a mental health condition? Um, I don't want to overstate it. Anyway, uh, experts actually say, if you need a little reassurance today, experts actually say you are safer. The reality is you are safer on Friday the 13th because... People are more cautious because it's Friday the 13th. So it's actually kind of ironic. Um, They say if you fear Friday the 13th or the number 13, it's kind of interesting. Nobody talks about fearing Friday. We have Friday the 13th. We have fear of Friday the 13th. We have the fear of the number 13. Nobody fears Friday. (laughs) And I've always said it should be Monday the 13th that's unlucky. Not Friday. (laughs) But anyway, if you have any of these fears, they say try to gain more control in your life. When you look to other things in your life to tell you where you should be, that is what can lead to anxieties and trigger phobias. No one is exactly sure where the legend of Friday the 13th being unlucky began, although researchers feel the superstition goes back hundreds of years. Folklore experts say it's a combination of Friday and 13, as both, the day, as both the day and the number have historically been connected to bad luck. So there you go, for what it's worth, this Friday the 13th. And, of course, it is October, which adds an extra layer of spookiness to it. This was kind of interesting. According to data from the Internet Movie Database... The number one city for horror movies and where they have been filmed, more, more 
horror movies have been filmed in Pittsburgh than any other city in the United States. Pittsburgh is the horror movie capital of the world, of all places. Pittsburgh. Um, other popular city locations for this particular genre of cinema. And again, we're talking about filming locations. Baltimore, Missouri City, and Tampa. California is the most popular state to film a horror flick with almost 2,500 scary movies taking place in California. Over 800 such movies have been filmed in Orange County and Los Angeles alone. So, kind of interesting. Uh, what else? Among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day... One more reason why we need to turn off our devices. All of the notifications, whether it's missed calls, unread emails, social media notifications, Instagram likes, whatever. All of those pings of texts and apps and even work communications are wreaking havoc on our minds. Uh, author Deborah Serrani tells Yahoo Life, while the addictive dopamine hit of online validation may feel exhilarating in the moment, those incessant notifications can result in poor mental health. The delineation between work and leisure life doesn't exist anymore, she says. And the ability to reach out and get things in seconds interrupts the developing skills of patience and endurance. Yeah, patience is a word that you just don't hear very much anymore. Patience. Adults spend about half their lives staring at screens. Half their lives staring at screens. And the average American checks their phones an estimated 144 times a day. Have you ever counted? 144 times a day. It's just not healthy. Turn those notifications off. A um, couple of other uh, items here. This has been a story that has been very much in the news for months, if not years. The cost of a higher education, particularly the, the past several months. I'm talking about student loan debt relief and all of that that goes along with it. But uh, visual capitalist, visual capitalist ranked bachelor's degrees according to student debt accrued, average student debt to achieve those degrees, ranked all of those degrees. The most indebted degree is behavioral sciences. Uh, people with a behavioral sciences degree have a median debt of 42822 Religious education, human services, and culinary arts also carry a hefty debt load. Now, I looked at this ranking, and I'm thinking, is this uh, based against the income of those degrees? Because degrees in many of these fields... Religion, human services, culinary arts, behavioral sciences, not the highest paying degrees. 
I mean, $42,822 to get a behavioral science degree is a whole lot less than a medical degree. Now, again, that's the amount of debt these students have. So that's not the total cost of the degree, just the amount of debt that students carry. Um, But still less than a medical degree or a law degree, things like that. Um, But those professions generally result in a much higher income level than do some of these degrees that are high up on the list. On the other hand, the degrees with the least amount of median debt are comparative education, cognitive science, and business operations support. So, for what it's worth, I just thought that was kind of interesting new uh, ranking from Visual Capitalist. And uh, lastly, among the first things you need to know this morning, everybody's been talking about the just horrible situation in uh, Israel and in Gaza with the uh, war breaking out there over the course of the past week. And you may be wondering how you can help the victims of this latest international uh, international war global crisis. You'll want to avoid scams. So experts say look for charities that are working on the ground and already making a difference. You know, whenever something like this happens, the scam artists come out of the woodwork trying to separate you from your money. You want to be generous. You want to help. Uh, you want to reach out. And scam artists are more than willing to take advantage of that. So they say, watch for, uh, look for charities that are already making a difference, already on the ground there. Charity Watch recommends uh, Magan David Adam, uh, which is Israel's version of the American Red Cross. Uh, Charity Navigator's list of highly rated groups include Doctors Without Borders. They have been active in particularly the Gaza region for many years. The Federal Trade Commission says look for reviews and choose charities with clear objectives. If they're kind of fuzzy about what they're going to do with the money, that's a big red warning sign. Uh, The FTC suggests hospitals like the Soroka Medical Center in southern Israel which is treating hundreds of uh, wounded patients from the uh, from the fighting. So be very careful in deciding who you are giving your money to if you are so inclined. Just a uh, bit of advice there. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly to mostly sunny today with a high in the upper 60s, a chance of showers tonight, a low in the mid-50s. More conversations about school bus safety and seatbelts as the Ohio School Bus Safety Working Group is meeting for a third time since an 11-year-old boy was killed in a bus crash at the beginning of the school year. A number of topics on the agenda, including a presentation from one Ohio school district that tried putting seatbelts on school buses in the past. We're talking about the school district there in Northeast Ohio in Avon Lake. They participated in a pilot program that put seatbelts on two buses in that district. The superintendent is set to present the results from that pilot program, which she has said in the past had some challenges, especially with younger kids. I'm Tracy Townsend. The Bluffton Police Department has been named the Agency of the Month for October by the Ohio Association of Chiefs of Police. The association says Chief Burkholder and his team have certainly used creativity and relationships to build upon their community policing strategy. 
The association applauds the chief and his agency for their hard work and also commends the entire community for accepting quality police programming. Get more on this recognition and the story on our website. 50 North, in partnership with Blanchard Valley Health System, Hancock Public Health, and other organizations, will be holding a health fair for people 50-plus in Hancock County. It'll be held on Saturday from noon to 2.30 at 50 North at 339 East Melrose Avenue. People attending the health fair can meet health care professionals, get free health screenings, flu shots, mini smoothies, and much more. Get more details on the senior health fair in the story on our website. The number three ranked Ohio State football Buckeyes have a huge game next weekend at home against Penn State, but the team is banged up and plays this Saturday at Purdue, where they've lost three out of the last four games they've played against the Boilermakers. The Buckeyes have Marvin Harrison Jr. battling his ankle still, but the bigger question marks are running back Trevion Henderson and wide receiver Emeka Abuka there wearing the boot. Here's what Ryan Day told us about their status. Both uh, you know, worked hard this week, um, and, and a big part of that is in the training room to get healthy. So you know, as we get closer, it'll be a game-time decision. I'm Dave Holmes. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So Friday the 13th, do you, do you get into Friday the 13th? I mean, does that, does it bother you? You know, some people uh, are really bothered by uh, Friday the 13th and will avoid flying on Friday the 13th. Some people uh, won't drive on Friday the 13th. Some people won't go into work. Uh, because of the superstitions about uh, Friday the 13th. Uh, We were mentioning a little bit earlier, uh, people are actually safer on Friday the 13th than they are other days of the year because people are being more cautious. But Friday the 13th does uh, offer the perfect opportunity to uh, talk about Bill O'Reilly's latest book in his best-selling series. It is called Killing the Witches. And... uh, Mr. O'Reilly, thank you very much for uh, joining us uh, once again uh, today. We appreciate sure, it, as always. Uh, so, Killing the Witches, this is a an incredible uh, topic. I love uh, this topic because it is so much lesser known than some of the other uh, subjects of the Killing series, you know, Lincoln and Kennedy and uh, Killing the Legends and Reagan and, you know, all of those. So, talk a little bit about researching this particular uh, subject. Actually, it was pretty easy, Chris, um, really? because every word in the witch trials in Salem in 1692, every word was written down. Really? All the accusations, all the um, proceedings, uh, the behavior of the girls in the courtroom who were accusing adults of being witches, and it was meticulous. Now, uh, those transcripts are in museums and libraries in New England. So when we, Martin Dugard and I, begin to write a book, we spend six months researching before we start. And we went into these places, all available online, and uh, got the direct testimony. So 
um, whereby Killing Jesus was the hardest one for us to research because it was very few contemporaneous um, historical notes. We yeah. found Jewish notes and Roman notes, but we had to really dig them out. Mm-hmm. Here, here, they were voluminous. Yeah. And so we could weave the story together fairly quickly. Um, and the thing that we found out that surprised us most was the participation of Benjamin Franklin in all this. Now, I did not know that. Yeah. But that always happens. That always happens when I research a killing book. I learn just as much as the reader learns. So why is it, I mean, so much that uh, is uh, written, and that was my uh, initial thought, was how much reliable, uh, how many reliable records are there? But to hear you talk about uh, the volumes that are out there, why is this such a footnote? Uh, in history for most people. They don't, you know, maybe know the basics, but don't know uh, a lot of the details. Well, let's just take a real vivid example of your question, which is a good one. The Mayflower. So everybody knows about the Mayflower, the pilgrims, mm-hmm. past the stuffing, and all. Well, <laughs> right. horrendous. It was horrendous. But when I was in school, nobody told me it was horrendous. Mm-hmm. Yet the 100 passengers on the boat, 66 days across the North Atlantic, some of those people kept notes, diaries. And to and we put you in Killing the Witches, we put the reader right on the boat. Yeah. What they went through. And see, this is, what, this is why the Killing series, this is the 13th in the... Uh, um, in the series, is the most successful non-fiction book series of all time. Because we're, we're able to get information and then put it into a story where the reader is actually uh, in uh, the situation we're writing about, mm-hmm. looking at it. Yeah. And that's the that's a technique that's worked for us so well. And we've talked about that uh, in the past. That must have been really interesting, especially in this particular book, to uh, create that whole atmosphere uh, surrounding the uh, Salem witch trials. Yeah, and the other reason I wrote the book, I was fascinated by the topic anyway. And by the way, Killing the Witches is the best Halloween book you could ever get, <laughs> yes. uh, with apologies with apologies to Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> but the reason I selected it, the topic, was because a witch hunt is back. Cancel culture is a witch hunt. So we're not hanging people, but we are destroying lives. Yeah, and that was... These- and that was one of the questions I wanted to ask, the lessons to yeah. learn from that that we uh, draw into contemporary culture. So we start in uh, 1692, and then we end in the present day. We end killing the witches in the present day. So, um, you know, I, the, the guy who uses the term witch hunt the most is Donald Trump, and I ran into one of his guys last week, and I said, can Every time he says witch hunt, can he please hold up my book, the book cover? That would be really good, good publicity for me. Uh, but it's the it's the accusation that becomes a conviction. That that's what I'm trying to get across to all the readers. If we accept that situation, and believe me, the corrupt media in America has. Now, we don't have a country anymore because anybody can be accused of anything and their lives will be ruined. Sure. And and that's what happened in Salem. You get 20 human beings who were executed. 
to that end and something you were mentioning, uh, which uh, I, I also want to make sure that we emphasize here, because I think this is a key part. Like uh, like you said, I did not know this, that the Salem witch trials were actually uh, significant, played a significant role in the development of the U.S. legal system that we know today. Yeah, not just the legal system, but how we all live. So that's what that this is a thing that we discovered that I discovered in in researching this was that once the witches were killed and buried the horror of all of that was written about in Boston particularly and Benjamin Franklin who was a teenager a genius he read it and actually went to the top witch hunter's home in Boston, because Franklin lived in Boston. Mm -hmm. And that man's name is Cotton Mather. And he had a long conversation with Mather, who was a a minister, as well as being a witch hunter. Very powerful man. And Franklin was so unsettled by that conversation and what had happened, that he, he took that the rest of his life, and he said, no, we can't have religion in the Constitution, we're a free people in America. We're forging a Constitution. Whereas the other side, Patrick Henry, Roger Sherman, some of the other founders, they wanted in the Constitution to define America as a Christian nation. It was a brawl in Philadelphia over this. And again, we write about all of that. And that started from the Salem witch trial. So if that horror had not happened, Mm -hmm. we might have a designated Christian nation uh, in the Constitution. So it's just a fascinating topic, and there's so many things in killing the witches that people don't know. Yeah. Um, To a certain extent, was what happened in Salem, Massachusetts, kind of inevitable given uh, that nothing was known about mental health at the time and that uh, that religious, I don't want to say religious intolerance, but I guess for, for lack of a, a better term. Yeah, it was fanaticism. Yeah. They, they were crazy people. Um, you know, eight hours of church, the kids couldn't play, mm-hmm. um, no dancing, no singing, no Christmas, no Easter, nothing. Yeah. And the children were so oppressed that once they heard about these legends from a slave called Tituba, who got to Massachusetts from Barbados, she told the children these stories about witchcraft and the devil and uh, all of this kind of occult voodoo mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Well, these kids were so excited, they incorporated it and then decided to turn on adults they did not like and accuse them of being witches, and that's all it took. Yeah. That's all it took. Yeah. A lot of really fascinating layers in this. Killing the Witches is the latest in the best-selling Killing series from best-selling author Bill O'Reilly. We've got a link up to it on our webpage at goodmornings.net. Bill, thanks as always for joining us. We appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Chris. Stay strong. Thanks for having me. So as we were mentioning earlier, this weekend we kind of get a sneak preview of next year's big show with the Ring of Fire 
annular eclipse that'll be happening tomorrow. And joining us this morning is NASA senior research scientist Eric Christian, uh, who joins us very early this morning from where he is out in Utah, which uh, is in the path of totality for the uh, so-called Ring of Fire eclipse, right? We in Northwest Ohio, we're going to be, what, about 35, 40% visible? Yeah, so you'll get, I think you're over 40%. Um, you'll see a nice chunk taken out of the sun by the moon. Uh, you can't look at it directly, so you'll need either uh, eclipse glasses, an approved solar filter, or indirect methods. But, mm-hmm. but you'll see a sizable partial eclipse. So what is the difference between an annular eclipse and the total eclipse, the big show, uh, that we will be experiencing in April? So the annular eclipse is known as the Ring of Fire. And the moon's orbit takes it further and closer to the sun. You don't really notice it most of the time. But when it's at its farthest point, it's too small to block the entire sun. Uh And so you get a ring of the sun around the outside. So it's simple, uh, simple as that. It's not that there's anything celestially going on different. It's just the, the different distances and different perspectives that you get. That's correct. So is it unusual, though, to have two solar eclipses in one year in the U.S.? It seems like that's very unusual. So somewhere on the world, you get one or two solar eclipses every year. Um, it's unusual for both of them to be crossing the U.S. in the same year, but they do happen pretty regularly. Sometimes they're partial, sometimes they're total, sometimes they're annular. Uh, now, all of this is really interesting, but what is there scientifically that you can learn from these events? I mean, are you uh, watching this uh, just as an interested observer like the rest of us, or is there something scientifically that you are, are looking at or watching for or studying in these events? So, uh, personally, I'm watching it just for curiosity and interest, Mm -hmm. but NASA is doing science with even the annular eclipse. And for example, we're launching three rockets, sounding rockets above the upper atmosphere tomorrow to see how the atmosphere responds to this sudden loss of energy from the sun Hmm. as the shadow of the moon passes over it. That helps us model the Earth's atmosphere better and improves our weather predictions. I would also imagine, because as I think most people know, that when you are in space, your power comes from solar power primarily. I mean, that's uh, the, the, the power source. So does this have implications for uh, some of the ambitious space travel that NASA is planning over the next several years, next several decades? So... The satellites in orbit around the Earth have to worry about the eclipse of the Earth, actually. There are times when they go into the shadow of the Earth, and they have to allow for that, usually with batteries, Hmm. when they don't have solar power. Um, Anything that's going to the moon or the Mars, you know, if you're orbiting the moon, you'll have the moon shadow to worry about. But on the way to Mars, 
the moon and the earth are too far away to really cause much eclipse shadowing problem. Interesting. So you mentioned, obviously, and this applies not just to uh, this weekend's eclipse, but also uh, the one in April. And as we come up on that, we're going to hear much more about it. But if you want to uh, see the eclipse, uh, obviously, it's not something that you can look at uh, directly, especially a partial eclipse. So how do you view something like this safely? So there, there are a lot of eclipse glasses that are going around. And if you don't have that, you can use indirect methods, uh, just a simple pinhole in a piece of paper or something like a colander or a, a, a spoon that's got holes in it. And if you hold that up, you'll see in the bright spots that are normally round coming through as the sun comes through the holes, uh, you'll see the shape of the eclipse. You'll see the moon hmm. taking a chunk out of the sun. Hmm. Uh, so anybody can look at it, even if you don't have eclipse glasses. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and I, and I know that uh, some folks, the last time we uh, had one of these, I seem to recall folks uh, who were kind of, um, you know, using the selfie camera on their phone, but holding that up at such an angle that they could, that it, that the camera looks at the sun and then you can uh, look at, look at it on your phone. So you can try that. It, it may not be very healthy for the camera. I mean, that's the, a good point. Is, the sun is very bright. Yeah, and, that's um, a good point. You know, just as it can damage your eyes, it can damage your camera. Yeah, uh, but uh, it's... Uh, uh, Again, something you don't want to look at directly uh, because, well, for obvious reasons. Uh, now, this will be happening tomorrow. What time uh, is this going to be uh, passing through Northwest Ohio? Uh, so let me see. Um, it, it's going to be the entire partial is going to be hours long. And it's yeah. going to be um, tomorrow morning. I think the center is about 11 a.m. Okay. No. Okay. Um, you've got actually uh, uh, NASA's website uh, has a whole section on eclipses in general. And this one, the Ring of Fire annular eclipse in particular, uh, you've got that on uh, on the NASA website, right? That, that's correct. But but the April one for, is going to be much closer. You know, uh, the, the total eclipse in April goes through Ohio, I think. Right. And uh, so you don't have to travel very far. Right. The total eclipse is really very different than the, uh, the ring, even the ring of fire. It'll uh, get dark. It'll be lots of fun. Yeah. That, <laughs> that one is the one, like we said, this is kind of a, a sneak preview uh, for the big show coming in April. And even, uh, again, just to kind of emphasize what you were saying earlier, even those who are in the path of totality for this uh, eclipse will not get the same kind of show that those of us in the path of totalities for April's eclipse are going to get. Two very different phenomena uh, that will be happening again because of the dis- distances involved. That's right. During a total eclipse, you can actually take off your glasses and want to take off your glasses during totality. And if you do so, you'll be able to see the atmosphere of the sun, the corona, 
as the wind streams away from the sun. It's hmm. very, very cool. Yeah, we're definitely looking forward to that. But uh, an interesting phenomenon in and of itself uh, happening uh, this weekend. And even though we are not going to be in the path of totality, we will be able to see at least a partial uh, ring of fire eclipse tomorrow. And again, uh, NASA senior research scientist Eric Christian with us this morning. Uh, Eric, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. I'm John Marshall with his high school football preview. It's week nine of the high school football season, and that means playoff positioning and league championship implications. The Finley Trojans head to Whitmer for a Buckeye Division showdown in the Northern Lakes League. Trojan coach Stefan Adams. There's all the good things that we've done and we continue to do, but really fine-tuning them to be uh, chasing after that perfect game. You know, we know we're going to have to be perfect. We know we're going to have to have a very small margin for error. Uh, within all three phases of the game, and we got to be on point. Uh, so just really focusing and holding on the small details and the disciplined nature of uh, executing. You can hear the game tonight starting with Trojan pregame show at 6.30 on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. Other NLL games include Southview at Clay, Northview at Anthony Wayne, Napoleon goes to Bowling Green, Springfield hosts Perrysburg, and Ross on the road with a non-conference game at Wade. In the Blanchard Valley Conference, Van Buren is at Arlington. Red Devil coach Josh McGrain. We know that they, they've really improved every single week, and they're, they're doing some nice things. Um, you know, we know that any given Friday night, you show up in BBC play, especially especially a league game against Van Buren, they're going to bring it, and we better be able to match their intensity and be able to kind of go right from the start. And if we don't, we're going to be in a dogfight. Um, so we've got to be able to be on top of our game and be able to put you know both sides of the ball together, including special teams. That game's on 100.5 WKXA tonight and at WKXA.com with pregame at 635. Elsewhere in the BBC, it's Liberty Benton at Arcadia. Pandora Gilboa goes to Riverdale. And non-conference matchups between Eden at Elmwood and Macomb is scheduled to host Richmond Heights. Ottawa Glendorf is at home against Shawnee in a battle of 0-8 teams tonight. That game on 106.3 The Fox and 106.3thefox.com. Also in the Western Buckeye League, it's Defiance at Salina, Bath hosting Wapak, Kenton makes the trip to Van Wert, and Elida is at St. Mary's. In the Northwest Conference, it's Delphus Jefferson at Lipsick, Crestview hosting Spencerville, undefeated and state-ranked Bluffton is at Allen East, and Columbus Grove meets Ada in the Northwest Conference for the final time. Grove coach Andy Schaefer. We're taking this game extremely serious. I probably conditioned more this week with the team than than, than they're used to. I, I think the attitude's been a little bit different, and I guess I want them going into this Friday night angry and, and uh, thinking about Ada. So, um, you know, I think next week can take care of itself, but this week is extremely important. I, I said the signs of a championship team are, you know, consistency and growth. And, uh, you know, I want to see that consistency that we're still at the top. And then, obviously, growth just get a little bit better. In the Northern 10, Kerry looks to solidify a chance at a home playoff game when they visit Upper Sandusky. Seneca East is at Winford. Bucyrus gets a visit from Buckeye Central. And Mohawk is at Colonel Crawford. In the Northwest Central Conference, Corey Rawson goes to Ridgemont. Crestline hosts North Baltimore. Hard Northern makes the short trip to Alger to meet Upper Scioto Valley. Waynesfield Goshen is at Ridgedale and Perry on the road at Elgin. 
Other games of note, state-ranked Patrick Henry is at Archbold in the NWOAL. In the SBC, it's state-ranked Hopewell Loudon at Woodmore, and Willard at state-ranked Calvert. North Central is at Van Lu in an independent matchup, and in the Northern Buckeye Conference, Faustoria is at Maumee. For Good Mornings, I'm John Marshall, WFIN Sports. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oakes on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Stop me if you heard this. Bear bear walks into a bar. Uh, it <laughs> sounds like the uh, setup for a joke, but it actually happened uh, in uh, Vancouver Island, British Columbia. The uh, owner of a uh, gas station slash bar on Vancouver Island. Security footage from Jay and Karen DeGrossbrand's Tipton Gas Bar. Uh, security footage obtained by the CBC shows the carnivorous kleptomaniac casually walking into the store, rummaging through the racks of chocolate bars before leaving with a pack of gummy bears in its jaw. <laughs> Walked off with a pack of gummy bears. Uh, Mr. Bear then went out to the parking lot and ate his gummy bears, recalls Mr. Uh, how do you pronounce the... Uh, how do you pronounce the name? DeGrossbrand. Okay. Uh, Jay, the uh, store owner, he was uh, drinking coffee behind the counter at the time of the robbery. <laughs> and uh, the husband and wife duo said the bear didn't appear to be aggressive, uh, left them more amused than scared. I would imagine British Columbia, you know, they're pretty uh, used to that sort of thing this time of year. Bears, of course, rummaging for all of the food they can find to fatten up before they have to go into hibernation. A drought in the area means a shortage of berries for local bears to eat, which is probably why they are looking for sweets elsewhere. And the gummy bears, in this case, filled the bill. (laughs) Can you imagine working at a convenience store, just minding your own business uh, late in the evening, And suddenly a bear strolls in and helps himself to some gummy bears. (laughs) Could that be uh, considered uh, cannibalism? A bear eating the gummy bears? I don't know. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, now this is crazy. An An issue between children that started on a school playground is now headed to the Louisiana Supreme Court. It stems from a lawsuit filed after a five-year-old suffered a broken hip while playing tag with a classmate back in 2018. The child's parents claim that the classmate, and again, we're talking about five-year-olds here, the child's parents claim their kid's classmate deliberately tried to hurt the kid and that their parents and the school should have known that this individual posed an unreasonable risk to other children. The case was initially tossed out, but an appeals court has uh, ruled that it is valid, and now it has made its way all the way to the Louisiana Supreme Court. Stay tuned. 
It's crazy. Police have a man in custody after he walked into the Warren Police Department, Warren, Michigan, yesterday, armed with a sword. Walked into the police station armed with a sword. The incident happened shortly after 7 in the morning. Uh, After uh, walking into the vehicle, officers uh, told the man, officers approached the man, and he told them he was going to kill police. Then he exited the police station and sped off. Apparently, he wasn't going to kill those police. He was just going to kill police. Cops uh, in Sterling Heights spotted the suspect's vehicle on a parking lot a short time later, and he was placed under arrest. But kinds of weird. Talk about something random happening there. The Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department is offering more details on the arrest of a man accused of impersonating a police officer. Uh, Officials announced the arrest of a suspect they say made several illegal traffic stops in East Valinda uh, near a local high school. The man was wearing a fake law enforcement uniform complete with badge, radio, baton, stun gun, and more. The Sheriff's Department says deputies pulled the suspect over on his motorcycle that was made to look like an actual police motorcycle. That's, why do people do that? They, do you think you're not going to get caught? I mean, honestly, it's, it's kind of weird. Speaking of uh, scams, Sandra Lynn Henson has been accused of crashing a wedding in Mississippi, stealing $200, and then helping herself to a slice of wedding cake. Hung around long enough to have some cake. Uh, now, to be fair, Ms. Henson didn't steal the money from the bride and groom. Uh, rather, the coordinator, the wedding coordinator, uh, said that $200 was missing from her purse. So, because stealing from the bride and groom, that would just be terrible. Just steal from the wedding coordinator instead, I guess. Uh, the bride, Lexi, says her sister caught Ms. Henson in the bridal room eating a slice of wedding cake. Uh, She has been charged with petty larceny, trespassing, and disturbing the peace. And this is not her first uh, wedding crashing uh, scheme. She has been arrested in multiple states, accused of stealing wedding gifts in Alabama and stealing cash and gift cards from a wedding in Mississippi uh, back in 2021. So... Not her first go-around on this. Uh, Let's see. A couple of other uh, items in the broken news. A flight from Guadalajara to Mexico City had to be delayed for more than two hours because of a mosquito infestation aboard the plane. How about that? I mean, of all the reasons to delay your flight, I'd be okay with that. I'd be okay with a couple-hour delay not to have to deal with a mosquito infestation in flight. And you certainly wouldn't want those in the cockpit or uh, anything like that. Pilots trying to swat at mosquitoes while they're trying to fly the plane. Uh, Valeris Flight 221 was scheduled to depart at 4.30 local time, but had to be delayed until nearly 7 o'clock while the flight's crew and passengers attempted to get rid of the insects. The crew and passengers were... Charged with getting rid of the bugs. Video recorded by passengers shows the mosquitoes being swatted by passengers and sprayed with bug spray by flight attendants. Those aboard the flight said the mosquitoes dissipated once the lights were turned off in the passenger compartment. 
uh, Guadalajara International Airport located amid heavy vegetation and frequent floodwaters, making for ideal mosquito breeding grounds, according to officials. Apparently not the first time that has happened either. Goodness. And finally, in the broken news this morning, uh, this is perfect Friday, Friday the 13th story, perfect Halloween story. A person dressed as Pennywise the Clown, the dancing clown from uh, the Stephen King story, It, Pennywise the Clown, somebody dressed as Pennywise, has reportedly been running around the streets of Skelmorley, which is a Scottish village, leaving red balloons behind. Pictures and videos of the clown posing around darkened streets have also reportedly been uploaded to social media, according to Sky News, and a Facebook account for the Skelmorley clown has been set up. In response to news reports that they had left locals terrified, the clown uploaded a message to the media during the early hours of Thursday morning, well, 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 I've made the news again. Should I smile for the cameras with my hideous grin, says the uh, video. The mystery clown apparently is gaining a fan club, (laughs) In response to the video, the aforementioned video, one Facebook user wrote, Of all the clowns in this village, he is the best. (laughs) We got a lot of clowns in this town, but this one's the best. (laughs) That's one way to look at it, I guess. There you go. Uh, That is today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Did you know more than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for their news, traffic, weather, sports, and a community connection? AM radio is the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping Americans safe in dangerous times. This is News Director Matt Demchek. AM 1330 WFIN is here to serve you, and we take seriously our commitment to our listeners. We would love to hear what you value most about AM radio. Visit wearebroadcasters.com and tell us how you depend on AM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. We've been saving up a lot of money over the course of the past year. On average, respondents to a a new survey of 2,000 adults with savings accounts say that we have added $23,000 to our savings in the past year. $23,000. Uh, we've uh, saved up now that is not just i believe that's not just like emergency savings that includes you know things like retirement and savings for other uh, purposes but in terms of emergency savings the common goal experts say is to have three to four months of uh everything you need to cover all of your expenses in reserve three to four months of expenses 40% of Americans, though, even though we've set aside all that money, uh, 40% of Americans say they could not live off of their cash savings for any more than four months maximum. Uh, 90% of those in the survey have used emergency savings since the official start of the pandemic back in March of 2020 for things like unexpected debt, rising rent or mortgages, medical bills, etc., etc. Opening... 
And funding a high-yield savings account will allow you to watch your money grow a little faster as a result of compound interest, uh, experts say, in response uh, to this survey. But one of the uh, other things that I thought was interesting in conjunction with this um, is that whether you can live or, or how long you could live off of your savings if you had to largely depends on where you live. Smart Asset analyzed the cost of living in each state and also compared each state to a comparable European nation. The cost of living for a single adult in this country is the highest in Hawaii, uh, which is probably not a surprise. Hawaii is a very expensive place to live. Uh, A lot of things are more expensive in Hawaii, because it costs so much more to ship goods there, $3,167 per month is the uh, average amount it would take for one single adult uh, to live one month in Hawaii, $3,167 a month. The lowest is Kentucky, is the cheapest place in the country to live at $2,275 per month. The price of living in Kentucky, they say, is comparable to living in France or Sweden or Italy. Um, Living in New York costs about as much as living in Denmark. And Texas uh, is similar to living in Finland, they say. Most of the Midwest could move to Malta or Belgium for a similar cost of living. And several East Coast states uh, are about the same as the cost of living in Germany. So I just thought that was uh, kind of interesting, some of those uh, numbers and some of those figures and comparing what it's like to live in this country in various parts of the country in various states uh, to uh, some European nations. For what it's worth. By the way, the upcoming Halloween parade... In Findlay, uh, which is right around the corner now. It is, isn't it? Wow. I just My I wife like, and I <laughs> uh, have been tapped. It's not just coming Tuesday, it's the next Tuesday. Yeah, my uh, <laughs> wife and I once again have been tapped to be your hosts <laughs> for uh, the uh, evening here on WFIN <laughs> and uh, on Facebook Live. It's going to be an awful lot of fun yes. this year. Some uh, changes to the parade and uh, it's going to be a good time. We're in so a new look, location, We're right? going to be in a new location. Nice. Yeah, it's going to be really, uh, really fun, fun. moving up in the world. Woo-hoo! No, it's, uh, it's going to be a good time. That's so. what happens when you I join. <laughs> <laughs> that that must be why it is. We got to we got to uh, upgrade this. We got to upgrade. That's right. Everybody. That's the, the wife is here now. The entire uh, the entire parade organizer said, "Well, we got to upgrade this yes. now." Kyra's, Kyra's kitchen's here. there. <laughs> <laughs> we look forward to it. Yes, we do. So. Um, We've been uh, we're, uh, on this around the world tour. Yes. Uh, last week we did what Italian, Italian. Uh, recipes, yep. and uh, next week we're doing German, German. recipes. Yes. But this week our around the world tour continues with a collection of easy Greek recipes yes. from Kyra's kitchen, and we begin with Greek 
meatballs. Yes, I had lots of guinea pigs with this one, and everybody that tried them liked yeah, them. Yeah, these, so, these were really, really yeah, yummy. Yeah. The only thing is, this first ingredient, a pound of ground lamb, where yes. do you get it? Um, well, a, a friend of mine ended up getting it for me down at Jungle Gyms in Cincinnati. But you can find it. <laughs> you can I don't find think you have it. to go all the way to Cincinnati no, to get no. it. But She just happened to be there, and they have really good ground lamb, so she, and mm-hmm. she gets it there all the time, and she happened to be there, so she yeah. got for me but okay. anyways uh you can get it at kroger you can get it okay. at um, so it is yeah it, it, is, it is available it's yeah. not something Meyer. that mm-hmm. it's not something that many of us no. necessarily put in our cart right. on an everyday basis it's usually in the freezer section okay so it's not fresh not, not it, i mean not, it's it yeah, it's in the freezer. It's fresh frozen. Fresh frozen. As opposed to Correct. being in the fresh, fresh, fresh meat counter. Correct. With yes. all of the pork and right. uh, beef and all Correct. of the rest. So yes. anyway, Greek okay. meatballs. How do we do so, it? So one pound ground lamb, a quarter cup grated onion, three teaspoons minced garlic, a half a teaspoon of salt, quarter teaspoon of black pepper, two teaspoons of dried basil, a half a teaspoon of ground cumin, a half a teaspoon of dried mint, a half a teaspoon of dried parsley, half a teaspoon of dried cilantro, one teaspoon of Italian seasoning, one large egg, and a half a cup of breadcrumbs. So place your ground beef in a large bowl, add your onion, your garlic, your seasonings, your egg, and your breadcrumbs. Mix that well. Form mixture into one to one and a half inch uh, meatballs. Preheat your oven to 400 degrees. Place the meatballs on parchment uh, lined paper, or I just greased mine. Uh, Bake for 15 to 18 minutes. Enjoy with your favorite sauce. Really simple. Now, how different is that than, say, a regular, ordinary, run-of-the-mill meatball recipe? Oh, not pr- not a whole lot different. The pretty mint. Much I mean, I, mint. I've never put mint in, okay. in my regular meatballs. And, of course, the ground lamb right. gives it a bit of a different taste. Different taste. Obviously, right. than right. Uh, ground beef. Yes. But uh, other than that, the mm-hmm. Greek meatball meatballs not that uh, no. uh, different or not that difficult. No, uh, if you have made meatballs in the past, yes. Uh, Spanakopita, yes, is the uh, next recipe. Yes, so, and uh, we had to look this up yes, to know exactly how, how to, to pronounce, pronounce it. it. But Spanakopita, <laughs> Spanakopita, is so, this? What is this? So it's a spinach pie. Okay. So it's one sheet of your puff pastry, um, one 10.8 ounce package of creamed spinach uh, thawed, one yellow onion finely diced, 12 ounces of feta, one bunch of parsley minced, one and a half cups of Parmesan cheese grated, a half a teaspoon of kosher salt, one and a half tablespoons of minced garlic, three large eggs, a quarter teaspoon of red pepper flakes, and two tablespoons of olive oil. So preheat your oven to 325 degrees. Brush the bottom and sides of a 9 by 13 inch baking pan with olive oil. Roll out the thawed dough. If the dough is longer than your baking dish, then cut off the ends so you don't have a lot of excess dough. Place one sheet of dough in the bottom of the dish. Combine the filling filling ingredients in a large large mixing bowl, then spread the mixture out on top of the dough in the pan. Then add your second sheet of dough, brush with some olive oil, bake for one hour until the top pastry is nice and flaky golden brown, then cut into pieces and serve. Okay, so Spanakopita. Yes. Uh, 
it's easier to fix than it is, is to, to pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> and for dessert, uh, we have a recipe for Greek butter cookies. Yes. So this is one cup of butter at room temperature. That's two sticks, one cup of sugar, one large egg, a half a teaspoon of vanilla extract, a half a teaspoon of almond extract, two and three-fourths cups of all-purpose flour, and one-fourth cup of powdered sugar. Uh, preheat your oven to 350 degrees. Prepare your baking dish uh, with grease or parchment paper. Set that aside. Add butter and sugar to a large bowl. Mix with your electric mixer on medium speed for about five minutes. Add in the eggs, the vanilla, the almond extract, and mix to combine. Then scraping down the sides of your bowl with a rubber spatula, Add the flour, mix slowly until just combined, and then use a cookie scoop to measure out equal portions of your cookie and place on a baking sheet. Um, and then you can either roll if you want to, or you can just leave it. If you leave it, it's going to look a little lumpy. If you roll it, then it's going to be nice and smooth. Okay. So depending however you want to do it. All right. Uh, bake for 13 to 15 minutes until the dough is just set. The cookies... Um, you don't want the cookies to brown up. You want them to remain a light color. Okay. Let cool on your cool on your uh, cookie sheet for about five minutes. Then place on wax paper to cool completely. Once cold, you can dust with um, uh, with your powdered sugar, or if you want, you can ice them. If you have a favorite hmm. cream cheese icing okay. or just a right. regular, you know, glaze icing. All right. Either way, the uh, Greek butter cookies yes. for dessert, uh, along with the Greek meatballs which were indeed very yummy and the spanica pita yes uh the uh, spinach pie, pie. so yes all right uh our greek recipes in our around the world tour from kyra's kitchen <laughs> uh those are posted on the kyra's kitchen facebook page are they not yes they okay. are okay go to they are at, there. at kyra's kitchen wfin on facebook we have the uh, link up at goodmornings.net as well and again as we mentioned we've got german recipes Yes, next week. Next week. All right. So get our sauerkraut on. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. We'll see. I'm not a big sauerkraut fan. So probably no sauerkraut. No sauerkraut, uh, but hey, you can add it if you want. <laughs> we <laughs> Especially add that to with everything. The, yeah. Um, <laughs> In the meantime, if there's uh, a recipe that you are looking for, something that you uh, want to see featured, yeah. uh, by all means, you Any can uh, make that request. Please. Uh, you can also share your favorite recipes, particularly if they are uh, international recipes, mm -hmm. oh, as yeah. we do our yeah. Around the World Tour. Give me you some can more share ideas. Those. Uh, again, at Kyra's Kitchen, WFIN. At Kyra's Kitchen, WFIN on Facebook uh, is uh, the... Uh, is the place to go. My wife, Kyra, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. Check us out online at goodmornings.net. You can also connect with us on social media, sign up for our daily email newsletter, and more. Again, goodmornings.net is our little corner of the World Wide Web. So until Monday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.